Hello, this is Tim Cooper, and we're going to be talking about farming on Mars. Hey guys, this is Sierra Ware, and on this week's episode, I talked to Tim Cooper, who's the district seed manager for Winfield United in the entire West Texas and New Mexico region. I had the privilege of being his intern this past summer, and he's definitely one of my favorite people in the cotton industry. During our conversation, we talked about changes in the cotton industry around the South Plains, the importance of communicating and promoting agriculture, as well as his thoughts on how he thinks technology and farm operation size will continue to change in the future. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Well, currently I am the district seed manager for Winfield United. I'm covering uh, all of West Texas and, and New Mexico. I go down into the Rolling Plains and San Angelo area and uh, Abilene in that area and then clear over into El Paso and then, like I said, all of, all of New Mexico. I'm in charge of not only our proprietary seed brands for Winfield United, but also we distribute for, as far as cotton goes, we distribute for FiberMax and Delta Pine. Uh, well, any seed that's on the market, we, we most of most of the we distribute for. Could you give an overview of Land Lakes and how Winfield United got into the cottonseed business? Well, Land Lakes is our parent company. Uh, Land Lakes is one of the largest co-ops around, and uh, they're based out of Minnesota. We there is three entities of Land Lakes. We are the agriculture side of Land Lakes, which is called Winfield United. They also, the other two entities are the uh, Perina, which is your feed company, and then also they have the dairy industry of Land Lakes, which is mainly known as, as the Land Lakes Butter Company. Most everybody knows us by Land Lakes Butter, but uh, Winfield United is the agriculture side. Winfield started uh, with cropland genetics. We started out as mainly a corn with corn hybrids and soybeans but the the cotton side started probably around 10 years ago maybe 12 I'm, I'm forgetting my time frame but somewhere in there that's when we decided we'd try to make our own brand and varieties of cotton as uh, back when the cotton states had their part of the industry where everybody kind of had the same varieties and uh, but also was able to attach their name to that variety and so, but since then it's evolved into uh, each company's had their own varieties and breeding their own uh, cotton varieties for specific areas. And so cotton genetics has been uh, proven that we can breed our own varieties for West Texas. And that's what we, you know, as far as our corn side is, we've always preached, put the right corn hybrid on the right acre. And so now we're trying to even go a step further with cotton and have a variety that we would like to see placed in West Texas, whether it be dry land or irrigated, and sandy soils or tighter soils. And elevation is playing has always played a huge part in cotton select, uh, variety selection, so uh, I, I'm personally trying to go a step further than that to try to help place, even though we've done this forever, and but try to take it a step further and try to help pri- place the right variety again on the right acre for cotton. How did you originally start out on the career path you're on now? 
Well, when I started in college uh, in Texas Tech, I uh, thought I wanted to be an ag teacher. Uh, that's what I actually enrolled in is, is, is ag education. I always thought I wanted to be a teacher because I, I, uh, I wanted to help young people get a start because someone always was trying to help me. But things changed, and, and I decided uh, maybe ag education was not the role for me. And uh, mainly because I really didn't know what to do at that time. And as things evolved, I went different directions. And I actually uh, wound up working out at the experiment station here in Lubbock. And uh, that's where I really kind of started. In 1980, I I was out there and got to know a lot of people there. And and just from there, every day, it seemed that I come in contact with someone here and someone there, and, and it led me to a different part of the agriculture industry. And, and so I got back into school and decided uh, I wanted to be on the farm. Uh, I was raised on a farm, but I also wanted to be helping other farmers, and that's where I am today. What is your favorite part about what you do? Oh, my goodness. The favorite part of my job is by far dealing with, with the farmer themselves. Uh, the grower is a unique individual because they're uh, they're in a business that is so volatile, so so like going to Las Vegas. It, it's such a gamble, and uh, if they want to gamble with me, that's even better <laughs> uh, because it, it, I say better because it makes me feel good to be able to help help them. And if they achieve at the end of the day, especially a return on their investment, and I was a part of that. That, that's my favorite part of my job is to to work with the grower day in and day out with recommendations, telling him, telling him about the most best thing out there that, that's going to help him make money and succeed. And, and, and I've been doing it for so long, I wouldn't know what else to do. I think it's all about relationship. Uh, if they trust you and, and uh, welcome you on their farm, uh, that's even a better day. You know, I... I I just as soon to have a relationship and gain that trust with them uh, before I even make the sale. Uh, I've always liked being uh, being that way because they have that trust in me. And once we get to know each other, then they know that uh, I've been around a long time. I've done what I've done for a long time, and I can hopefully provide for their operation and their family a ways and means to... Uh, make a better crop and, and make money for them. And uh, it, it's just a passion of mine that I've had forever uh, of being able to help people. Uh, I also have an extra part of my job is, is internship programs. I, I, I also have not only a passion to working with a farmer, but working with young people. I, I, I've always wanted to be able to, uh, to help someone, you know, achieve what they want whether it's a, uh, a part-time job or you know just some help of uh, of helping someone do a school project or even as far as helping them get an internship or even taking a step further and getting a full-time job because someone took their time a long time ago to help me do that uh, if, if if I didn't have people that trusted and believed it in me I wouldn't be where I am today and, and I do have another passion of, of helping young people. Uh, I've had an opportunity the last couple of years to go to Texas Tech and, and speak on campus, speak to classes, you know, not only promote 
Winfield United and what we have to offer, but just just to help young people know how to write a resume, how to conduct an interview. I'm not saying I know all of that, but I, I know that if I, I give them ways and and things how I've done and how I've seen people react and act, I, th- I think it would go a long ways of helping young people that way. Could you talk about some of the challenges and differences that you see even within the region that you work in? That's a great question. There, There's no two farms alike anymore, and especially when you move from just across the county versus across four or five hours across the state. Uh, you have all kinds of farmers everywhere. You have some that are you know, smaller growers. You have some that are larger. Some of the smaller ones do not have the equipment like the, uh, the larger growers and vice versa. So there's lots of differences, not only in, in farming techniques, uh, equipment, but just the lay of the land. You know, uh, the environment changes, the, the temperatures, the, the, the times to be able to plant in certain areas versus, you know, from, from Dalhart to San Angelo is, is, is a huge difference. There's elevation in Dalhart's probably 4,200 feet versus San Angelo at 1,500 feet. And so there's a wide variance there of what can happen on a farm and how to do things. So, yes, it's very different. Uh, the farmer himself, the way they do things, the lay of the land, uh, it's different. So I, I've got to be able to know what happens in every area and, and know that everything is different. From your perspective, what is the greatest challenge that farmers on the South Plains are currently facing? I think their biggest challenge is probably a two-part answer to that is weather and prices uh, commodities you know it they've got to make money because it's such an expensive way of life and uh, as i stated earlier it's it's a gamble but it's so rewarding uh even if they break even i mean it's it's a rewarding way of life to uh, to get out there and work in the land but it, it's going to be a, a challenge because the weather Last year, 2018, brought on a drought situation that that was things that a lot of people never seen in their lifetime. In 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 this, in, haven't for me it for sure, and it posed a lot of problems. Yeah, we got rain, and sometimes our average might have went above last year than what we normally see, but it was the wrong time of the year, and so therefore. Weather plays a big challenge, and, and when, when you don't have the right weather and moisture to top it off, it really changes things fast. Do you see any other crops other than cotton moving into the South Plains region anytime soon, and do you think that we'll continue to see an increase in cotton acres up in the panhandle? The key thing to that question is water. Water, 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 and, and we don't have it anymore. I mean, we do have it, but not like we did. Uh, in the 70s in Floyd County, I grew up and there was more water than we ever needed. I mean, and we wasted it. We've come so far of, from that way of farming to the way we are today with drip irrigation, center pivot irrigation. It's such a precious commodity. We've got to have water to make it work. Corn, number one, has got to be more than $3 a bushel. It's got to be more than $4 a bushel anymore to make it work. 
So therefore, until that price gets right, I don't think you're going to see corn in our area, in the Lubbock area, or you will even see it in the Panhandle. You're going to see it some where they still have good water up there, but still the price is not there. So that's your, I think you're still going to see cotton until that price changes. Um, I think if the price does change, you may see more corn back in the Panhandle. But due to the water situation, I don't think you'll see it in the, in the South Plains. Could you give an overview of cropland cotton varieties? Yes, cropland varieties. Uh, we, we, ha- we still have several cropland cotton varieties. We've introduced several over the years. But uh, as of 2019, I'm proud to say that we, we do have three varieties that I personally like to sell in, in our area. Uh, we have some others, but uh, we are, we're currently breeding and testing other ones, but we do have the new Bogard 3 varieties that are out. We had this one we have this year will be our second full year in production and and it is for for sale uh it is a bogar three it, it, it does exceptionally well with blight uh the uh, the blight ratings on it is very very good also as verticillium wilt is concerned it, it's very good there too uh, i got to experience it two years ago as, a, as an experimental product and and I could tell then, along with some of my other co-workers, we were so surprised of what it did, how it graded, how it yielded, how it responded to verticillium wilt and blight. And we thought this may be the one we've been looking for. And we do. We have it now. And, and we actually have growers coming to me saying, hey, I heard about cropland 9598. And I'm like, it, it makes me feel so good when they come to you asking you for it. Because in the past, we've, we've had some that didn't do as well. And, and when, you, when they don't do well, they don't come ask you about them. You have to go out and preach and sell that variety. Uh, it does really well under uh, high management situations, fertility, water, that thing, that kind of situation. But also uh, does well in, in any, any situation. We have another one, Cropland 3475, that is uh, phenomenal for dryland situations. It also does well in, in uh, semi-irrigation and even full irrigation, but you need to watch if you have verticillium wilt in those acres, do not plant 3475 there. It, it's not as tolerant at all, and, and I'm just, I don't want to take a chance of, of a grower putting it on a, on a vert acre. Well, and, and both of those are, uh, 3475 is an early variety, and the 9598 is a mid-early we also have a full season, uh, it's a medium full that's a 3885 cropland bag, and it works pretty well Lubbock South. We have placed it uh, between Lubbock and Plainview before, and, and it has to be the right growing year for that to work because of its full maturity. But it, it does real well, uh, Lubbock South, San Angelo area. I mean, we, we plant it in the Delta. It, it, it goes clear back in the Far East in those situations. But... Uh, we have a great line of cotton varieties that, that I'm proud to sell nowadays. How do you see the cottonseed business and even other segments of the crop input business playing out in the next few years, especially as it seems like they've become even more cutthroat in recent years? Wow. In the 30-plus years I've been in, in the ag business, being retail or distributor wholesale, you, you said cutthroat, and it, it always has been cutthroat. And, uh, but that's just business, you know, everything, whether you're selling, uh, pens and paper, 
you know, somebody's always got the best out there. Someone's always got the, the cheapest out there. And to make things work, either on the farm or even in your personal life, you always want to do what's right for you and your family. You know, buy the best product at the best price. But still, you want to be able to re- rely and and trust someone that does have a product that, number one, works, no matter what it costs, but also spend your, your money right. So technology and chemicals, we, we farm with chemicals nowadays, whether we like it or not. The conventional way is is still around. It, it almost went away a few years ago, but it's back. And so... We're going to have to have chemicals to survive. Our weeds are getting resistant to some things, and and so therefore we've got to come up with other means and ways to take care of those situations. And so it, it's it's going to be a, a challenge, and it, it is a challenge to uh, to try to tackle our problems that we have on the farm nowadays. How have you seen the size of farming operations change over the years? I've seen it happen for years now. Uh, 20 years ago, the the small farmer might have been a 1,000 acres, and now he's more than that. And then the large farmer is a lot larger. It's all going to be based on, I think, the family that you're supporting. Yeah, I see maybe two or three brothers, up to four brothers farming together, and they, and, you know, they all have three or four children themselves, so that's a large operation, so therefore they got to have a lot more acres to take care of their families. You may have a one-family operation that is supplying just for that family, but they may have two or three families working for them, so they still, you know, it, it's just a check and balance, and what, what does it take to make the whole operation work? So... The bigger the family, the more people to support, I think you're going to have to have a lot of acres. And when I say a lot, it, it may be up to 20,000, 25,000 acre farmer. That's a large farm, and it takes a lot of people to run that. Uh, a 5,000 acre farm nowadays is, is a good average size farm, I think, but that's probably a small farmer today. So it, it's going to, I think you'll get bigger farms. Uh, you'll have more people go together and... Uh, try to make things bigger and better. What changes have you seen in the cotton industry since you were a kid? Well, uh, as I stated earlier, uh, I grew up on a farm. My, my dad uh, was a cotton farmer, and, and uh, I started going with him ever since I was old enough to walk. And uh, we irrigated back then with uh, the, old, the old ditch method with tubes and, and water. We had to have a siphon tube and and we sucked it out of the ditch and ran it down the row. Uh, so I saw a lot. I mean, I can remember as a kid, uh, I trumped cotton in trailers when I was a little boy. I mean, we, we had the trailer that we pulled behind a tractor, and the cotton was harvested and shoot, shot into the trailer from the stripper at, at two rows at a time. I can remember we had four-row equipment. I, I make it sound like I'm 80 years old, but I'm not. Uh, but... I've seen a lot of change on the farm, but it's we, we, I went went from four-row equipment up to, I remember when we were six-row equipment, and I finally talked my dad into going to eight-row equipment, and and that was in the mid-70s, and so we, we've come a long ways in farming, so uh, uh, 
we've we've done a lot since then. It, it was neat to be able to grow up on a farm and for me to be able to say that I saw that and and where we've come to today. Uh, it would be exciting. Uh, my, my mom and dad actually have told me that they even pulled a toe sack and, and pulled cotton by hand when they were kids. And I, I remember showing my mom back in around 2000 some of the first four-bell cotton I saw in, on the High Plains. And it was ultra-narrow cotton, and they didn't do a very good job of harvesting even then. And there was probably a half a bale to a bale left on the ground. And my mom actually said she wanted to get out with a toe sack and start picking some up. She just couldn't stand to see that cotton wasted. And I know that grower didn't like it either because they just didn't have the technology then to, to be able to gather all of that cotton. And just in, in that short time frame, we've come so far of, of growing ultra-narrow cotton and, and making five-bell cotton, average five-bell cotton, not just 10 acres here and 10 acres there. Uh, I, I've seen some average five and 6,000 acres at five-bell phenomenal so with breeding and technology and the way we do things so different from 10 years ago versus today uh, I know through now and the end of my career that I'm going to see things that that's going to be hard for me to believe that that's going to change and that's just the way the way science is today it's it's going to bring lots of new and exciting things and I think if you're going to succeed it's you're going to have to adapt to those changes. I'm excited about seeing what's left. I hope I have another good 10 years left in me in my career. So there's no telling what I might see before before y'all are done with me. How do you effectively communicate some of the unique challenges that West Texas farmers face to a parent company and others that are so far away from this area? That is a great question as well. Your podcast is titled Farming on Mars. We're almost like Mars in West Texas compared to the Midwest or even Minnesota where our parent company is. We're based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and there's a there's a lot of corn up there. And uh, again, as we spoke earlier, you know, farming is different on other sides of the county and especially a thousand miles away. So to convey our hardships to them of what we need, what we need to see and our challenges is sometimes difficult because it's hard for me to understand their challenges. You know, they, they have them as well. Uh, they have weather factors just as bad as we do. We, we may have drought factors where they're getting too much rain, too much moisture, too much snow. So they can tell me their hardships and I'm like, Oh, you're not as hard as mine, and vice versa. So, yes, in order to tell um, to, or to relay a message to someone, it's better not to tell. It's, it's better to try to help them understand my problems, and maybe I can understand theirs, and we can come together and understand a common goal to try to make things better for both of us and, in the end, make it better for the grower because that's what it's all about. Why is communication so important, not only in your role, but also in life and farming? Communication is so important. And as you well know, working for me, I, I, I stated that if we can't communicate, we probably will never get along. And communication is so key, key in, in uh, 
your family life, not on, not only your job, but your your family life is so important. You know, if you're married, your children, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever, if you cannot communicate and openly talk and trust each other, then you you've got a problem. You, you got to be able to work things out. How does the co-op system work within Land Lakes and then all the way down to the local level as well? Land Lakes is a co-op, so therefore we all are a co-op. We are owned by the farmer. Uh, I'm, I think that that is a great thing. Uh, and so as far as a big company such as Land Lakes, clear down to a co-op like we've all seen and grow up with here in West Texas, uh, they're owned by the farmer as well. So therefore, you know, again, as I stated, our, our common goal at the end of, by the end of the day is to provide something for the farmer because he's my boss. And uh, yes, I have bosses and managers within my company, but as I stated, at the end of the day, the farmer is the boss. And uh, we, we want to provide for him the best thing for his farm, the best thing for his operation. And again, as I state all the time, it's all about return on investment. And if he can lay his head down on his pillow at the end of the day, uh, knowing that he chose and spent wisely, and I was a part of that, I feel that uh, I've done a great thing for a, for, for a co-op. Within your job, what are you most excited about? What's exciting for me today uh, is our breeding and things that we are working towards to make things even better. And... I know we have cotton varieties that we're working on that we're, we're trying to build just for West Texas. And, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to, to work with experimental varieties and test them and make sure that it's going to be the right thing. And a lot of people don't do test plots. They don't like to do test plots, especially farmers when I come to them and say, hey, would you like to do a test plot? We've changed that a lot, I think, over the years because before it was small test trips and do this and do that, and I made it, it, it was a pain to do them. And nowadays, what's exciting is to have a farmer come to you saying, hey, can I do a test plot? Because it shows them information and data on their farm. On their farm and in, in a 10 or 20 mile radius, what works good for them, and you're not showing them something on paper what looked good 50 miles away. I learned a long time ago not to go up and tell a farmer, hey, this, this, this cotton really did good 200 miles away. Who cares? So that's exciting to me to be able to do something on a grower's farm and, and him or her get to watch it, see it, touch it, feel it, and then they're like, hey, this is what I want. Tim Cooper and Winfield United has something going on. Uh, I, want, I want to see what else they've got. And, and then they tell their friends. and for, you know That's how that thing works. Things start to snowball. And, and it can also go the other way. You can have something bad that doesn't work well. And, and uh, you've got to work through those challenges. But it, it's fun to get up and do something new and different every day. What are your thoughts on technology continuing to play an even bigger role in farming? I've had to adapt to technology in my job and my role more than I ever thought I would. I uh, I really didn't think. I mean, when I started in in, in 1981, I started with a uh, uh, spray business, chemical business, and, and we had a computer on our desk, and we just used it mainly for billing. But 
someone told me back then, and I thought they were crazy, that you would see computers and tractors and combines and strippers in the future, and, and we're in the future. We're, we definitely have them there now, and so, like I stated earlier, it's technology, and we've got to have it. it. It's helped, and it's proved that it does work on the farm. It is expensive, but uh, with apps and different things that are available to the grower nowadays, uh, it's worthwhile, and I think it's a great investment. Uh, farming with technology is unbelievable for me because we, we use satellite technology. I thought that would never be something we'd use in West Texas. I thought it was something for the Midwest and, and different parts of the world where the ground and the soil changed so much so fast within an acre or two and out here where we have sections of just almost flat land that doesn't change that much there's still a use for satellite technology and it's being used widespread today mainly for planting populations here in west texas we we found that we can use planting populations to uh, save in seed costs and therefore some varieties and hybrids even do better at a lighter population when there's not as much plant competition. Uh, so, wow, the the technology we have today and what we just even have in our hand on a cell phone is, it blows me away to know how much power we do have and the information we have available for us that some of us are not even using and don't know how. But, again, in five, ten years, there's no telling what it's going to be like. Someone told me within my company one time that, I was probably born way too early because I adapt to computers and stuff like that quicker than I thought I would, but I enjoy it because I know it's part of our life. But that's going to be something exciting to look forward to Of in five years. What, what is our phones going to be able to do for us in five years? Phones, computers, iPads, uh, and all that has to relate to farming. That's, that's going to be real exciting. In your current role, what are some of the challenges you face day-to-day? The greatest challenge in my role, uh, I cover a large geography and several dealers I call on. And, and they're, just, um, they're, they're like a farmer as well. There's, there's different people. Every, every person's different. So every manager, every sales manager, every agronomy manager runs their operation different. So a challenge to me is to be able to, to, to know each of one of my accounts just as well as the next one. And so being able to fit their needs just like I do for a grower, every grower is different. So it's challenging day in and day out to know who wants what, when, and where. And to be able to provide the right price, have availability of the right seed or chemical that they want, and the 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 dog-eat-dog you spoke of world that we live in nowadays and and it's so challenging and 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 companies compete with each other so much anymore being able to provide the right thing for the right price it's a huge challenge and so uh, we just got to be able to be on our a-game to uh, provide for the grower and the accounts that we work with how did your dad originally get into farming, and what are some of the changes you've seen in rural communities since you were a kid? Uh, how my dad got started farming, he had uh, he was in World War II, and uh, when he came home from, from the war, he was discharged in, I think, 1945. And uh, 
he actually didn't want to come. Of course, I wasn't born then, but he wanted to come back and 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 start farming, but he really didn't want to come back to West Texas. So when he got off his boat in California, he started farming cotton uh, south of Phoenix in the Scottsdale area. And uh, he actually stayed out there for a year or two before he actually came back to West Texas. And he, he farmed on a large cotton, Pima cotton farm out there. And he already kind of knew how to farm a little bit, but he learned a lot there. And one day he decided he, he was uh, homesick and he came home and he and mom met and they got married and long story short, we all came along. And, and so uh, cotton has always been part of his life as such as mine. So it, it's, it's really changed, uh, changed a lot from to where he started to where it is today. Uh, what it's done for our small communities, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, the, the smaller communities here in West Texas, uh, I remember in, in the mid-70s when I was in high school, uh, in my little town of Lotney, Texas, we had uh, two department stores, you know, clothing department stores, uh, uh, a variety store. We had like two or three grocery stores in, in a little small West Texas town. And, and now today we don't. That that little town is, is it does not have all that. It has one grocery store and, and that's about it. And, and a lot of small towns are like that. You ask me what's going to happen in those towns. Uh, the farming is still around those towns. It's all about the water. Uh, you know, if the water is going to be able to supply that town and supply for the farming needs, that's what's going to keep the small town alive. Now, there is a lot of growers now that they they travel long distances. You know, my dad got up every morning. I think the furthest he went to his farm was three to four miles. And there's a lot of farmers now that farm in such a broad area, whether they live there or not, in what town, they, they might drive 30, 40 miles on, on their farms these days. And then you have a lot of growers that are living in the bigger cities. Uh, they live there because of the convenience, and then they still go to their farm uh, day in and day out. So I hate to see the small town. There's survivors out there. Lockney, where I grew up, and all the other small towns, the people that still live there, they're phenomenal because they want to see their town survive. They don't want it to dry up and blow away. And uh, But literally, if we run out of water, that's going to be tough. So people that are listening, water is valuable. It, it's a very valuable commodity, and we must have it to survive. Uh, we must have it to farm. Uh but we just have to have water. So be very conservative with your water. How do you promote agriculture within your community? How do I promote agriculture in my community? It, it starts even in your own home with your smallest child. They have to know where their food comes from. It's so important. And I don't mean that in a farming home. I'm talking people in the big cities, clear from... From Lubbock to Dallas to Houston to New York, everyone must know where your food comes from. It doesn't come from a shelf. It doesn't come from a factory. I was in a meeting just last week. This person was not at the meeting, but it is a true story. They were so proud to know that a Costco was coming into their city. And someone asked her, why are you so proud about Costco coming in? She goes, because now I know where all my food's coming from. And they said, where do you think it comes from? 
And they said, well, before I just bought it and it came from other places. But she goes, Costco gets it from factories. And now I know that it, since it's coming from a factory that I'm getting good food. It's going to be proven safe food. And I'm sorry this person did not know or have a clue that it still comes from the farm. And so we must promote, we, we, must, we, we must know exactly what it takes, what a farmer does for his livelihood to put food on our table. Yes, that's a broad statement. And so, so many people these days are worried and scared of what they're eating and what's involved in that food. And if it came from harmful chemicals, we just need to be able to know how it actually got there. And, and not try to argue with people. That's, that's where I think we get in a lot of trouble is people try to argue back and forth about who's right and who's wrong. Yes, I've been known to be one to argue, but, but to also be able to listen to someone and hear their side of the story and then be nice and try to tell them, let them know and show them exactly what we do on a farm, how safe it really is. Why would I put my own family in danger? You know, I wouldn't want to put your family or my family in any danger or anybody else or a stranger from New York to eat the wrong kind of food. So it's it's all about promoting agriculture and letting people know where does it actually come from. One way I think you could promote agriculture, again, as I stated, uh, with children, and, and it's done throughout West Texas, and, and I know we need to do it in other places, but uh, at the schools, have your companies uh, go in to the school uh, if they have an ag day or a career day and talk about talk about farm, talk about farm life, animals, dairy, milk from the from the dairies. How, how safe is that? Where does it come from? How does it get in the milk jug and get to your refrigerator? Uh, let them know how how that's done and promote good agriculture. Uh, you can do that, again, with, with the young people at school. Not just elementary age. It needs to go clear through senior in college. Everybody needs to know how agriculture works in a good way. Uh, as far as Land O'Lakes and, and Winfield, uh, if you're ever in Fair Oaks, Indiana, we have a huge farm there. Fair Oaks, Indiana does, and Land O'Lakes has... A big piece there as well, as well as Winfield United, and it promotes good agriculture. That's all it promotes. You can go on tours. It's almost like going on to Six Flags. You, you get to go there. You can go. You can ride through the actual dairy. You can see the cows being milked. Uh, you can go through a pig farm, a chicken farm. You can actually go into different events in, inside the, the grounds and, and see how crops are grown. They show roots down below. They show how the crop grows above ground, below ground, and all, all things that are used and, and seeds that are used to promote good agriculture. It's very safe. And anybody wants to ever talk to me about uh, bad agriculture, we'll sit down and we'll, we'll work it out. And that's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode with Mr. Tim Cooper. And thank you again to Cody West for allowing me to use his song, Melody. Please check back again next week for another great episode about the people of the plains. I don't know the answers, but the questions fill my head.